0: So, a couple of things before we really get going today. We are, um, we're approaching the, the end of um, our Heaven series. We're in week five of our six-week series. And so we've had, um, I've had anyway, uh, a good time through this series exploring what eternity will be like. And uh, the key is, um, I think, what we've seen so far, uh, and hopefully we, we've really started to understand well, is that heaven is going to be something for us to look forward to. One of the things that keeps coming up, one of the questions that we keep having, one of the things that people keep wanting to know, no matter how much we talk about it, is simply this idea of, will heaven be boring? And, and, and what they're really asking is, or what they're really doing is they're saying, look, man, I, I know we say we want life to be perfect, but we really don't want life to be perfect. Uh, We don't want it to be perfect because in our minds, this idea of a perfect life feels like it's going to be pretty dull and dry and safe. And we weren't hardwired to be safe. That's not how we were created. It's not what we were created for. We were created uh, for adventure, Okay? And so partly when we start having this conversation about heaven, it's hard for people to get excited about living in heaven. And it's hard for people to get excited about living in heaven forever because they think, yeah, okay, it won't be terrible, but it's not going to be awesome. And I want to I challenge that. And we're going to talk today about what daily living in heaven uh, will look like. And daily living will take on a whole new meeting uh, when um, the days never end. Uh, when when it'll just be one day on top of another on top of another, um, you know your birthdays will take on a whole new meaning. Um, when they don't matter, right? You won't have to lie about your age anymore. Because if you're if you're one billion four hundred and eighty five, that's not a whole lot different than one billion four hundred and thirty five. So you could stop lying about that. Not that you guys do that. Maybe I, whatever. But but. Eternity is a really long time, and we have this idea that you know what, even the exciting stuff is going to get old after a while. And I'm just hopefully what you're seeing as we go through this series is that that just isn't the case. I put something on the back of your bulletin, Uh, I I just thought it was worthwhile for you to have. I'm going to read it here now for you. It's just this little thing, and I want you to take it home. If you didn't grab a bulletin, you can get one on the way out. And I want you just to know this, and I want you to understand this, and I want you to even pray through this a little bit, just this reality. Okay? The words aren't magic, but the idea has value as you start to think about what your eternal existence will be like. It says, our belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy. And the heresy is that God is boring. And there's no greater nonsense than that. Our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy come directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds, adrenaline, sex drives, the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains, all of that is God's design. Likewise, our imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God that we accuse of being boring. I want you to wrap your head around this. You didn't invent fun. I didn't invent fun. God invented a good time. The fact that you can process joy and boring is because God has put the desire for joy and exhilaration in you. You've ever had an adrenaline rush? It's because God created you to experience that. The best pleasure that you know God allows that in your life. God is the author of exhilaration and joy in a way that you can't possibly understand. And so what I want you to understand about heaven is simply this. While we can't know exactly what it's going to be like, and we've been looking throughout this series, and and we'll keep going today, but while we can't know exactly, what we can know is that God has in store for us things that are exceptional, spectacular, things that we can't possibly begin to understand. As a Christian... Your eternity is going to be the best ever. But some of you still don't believe me. Some of you still don't believe, I I say that, I say that, I say that, and you're like, yeah, okay, that's that's all fine and good, but I don't believe it. And the reason you don't believe it is simply because, I should turn this on and then it's really going to work for me, is because your Christian life is boring. I mean, some of you have a really hard time believing that your eternity is going to be exciting uh, because you're going to be there with the God of the universe. And the reason you have a hard time believing that your eternity will be exciting because you're there with the God of the universe is because your Christian life is sad. It's boring. It's a little bit pathetic And all the fun that you have in your life, I mean, some of you, if you're really honest, all of the fun you have in your life is something that's rooted in sin that you shouldn't be doing anyway. And you're like, okay, so if the only joy I have in my life is when I'm doing something that God says no to, then I can't imagine heaven being great when I can't do the things that God says no to. And listen to me, I need you to hear me on this. That's not on God. That's on you. Because God is the author of joy. And, and by the way, if you're getting your joy out of something that God says no to, then I want to be really clear about what you're enjoying. You're enjoying a cheap counterfeit. That's all it is. You're enjoying knockoff. You're enjoying cubic zirconia, okay, instead of the real thing. You know what it's like? With all due respect to Pizza Hut, you're enjoying Pizza Hut when what you should be enjoying, what you were created to enjoy was Lou Malnati's. Right? And those of you that Chicago, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you that don't, we'll go. We'll take a trip. I will drive two and a half hours to eat pizza with you and then we'll come back and then we'll eat Pizza Hut and you can know what you've been missing out on. But we assume that heaven is going to be boring and we assume that heaven is going to be boring because we get all of our excitement and joy out of these cheap knockoffs and and not what we were intended to have. And God has called us to live on the edge. Look at this. Look look at what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 1611. He says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forevermore. Uh, The psalmist understands here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that being with God forever is going to be unbounded joy. That being with God forever is going to be pleasures of of living that you've never experienced. And, And again, some of you, because you've started to equate, you've bought into the cultural lie, you've bought into the cultural lie that I've lost my train of thought, and the reason is this. I'm going to tell you where I'm at. As I looked up over here, and I saw Travis wearing his Alshon Jeffrey jersey, who, in case you didn't know, used to play for the Bears and now plays for the Eagles, who are in the Super Bowl today. And so, in a sense, we've got a Bears connection, so it's going to be okay today. Um, none of you care about that. I just I looked up, and it's like, oh, yeah, all right. So there was a thing we were talking about, and it was awesome. And uh, yeah, pleasures and joy unabounded. Listen, when you spend eternity with God, it is going to be so good. Now, here's the thing. It's going to be so good whether you live this life expecting it to be good or not. So, so don't be confused. I mean, if you're living this life kind of in a ho-hum, I'm not sure, heaven will be exciting. You'll get there. It's not like God's going to say, well, you thought it was going to be boring, so it's boring for you forever. That's not going to happen, okay? So you're going to have this experience in heaven regardless of whether or not you believe me now, but what is at stake for you is the way you live this life. And if you would just get this as a Christian, then you could live this life with excitement and purpose and passion, with with the right kind of adrenaline always flowing, with the right kind of pleasure always just surrounding you and and enveloping you, this this could be so good. That's what's at stake here, okay? But what are we going to do? What's heaven going to be like? First thing I need you to know is this. You are going to reign in heaven, Reigning in heaven is kind of like the family business. God, your heavenly father, um, who has adopted you as his very own children. First John tells what love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. God has adopted you as his very own children. God is the ruler of the creator of the universe. And um, he has designed you to reign with him. So you will, first thing, what's my daily life like? Well, you will reign in heaven. You will rule in heaven. Revelation 5.10 says it this way, and you have caused them, them being Christians, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. Okay? This This is the angel talking to Jesus about what's happened through the cross. You, through your blood and sacrifice on the cross, they have become priests now because they have direct access to the throne of God. They are now children of God. You've caused them to be priests of our God and They will reign on the earth. And we're thinking, okay, reign on the earth. That's what we're doing now. No, no, no. You will reign on the new earth, the eternal earth. It's the family business. And so part of what's happening now is we are in this training leadership apprentice program. We keep going, okay, and we understand that every citizen of heaven will have an appointed role. So what is your daily life like? Well, you're going to reign, and and guess what? You're going to work. For those of you that thought heaven was this permanent vacation um, where you weren't going to work, you were just going to be there and it was going to be grand and you were going to sit on a cloud and you were going to play a harp. That's not exactly what it's like. You're going to work. You're going to work hard. You'll love your work. Your work will bring you joy. Your work will bring you fulfillment. Your work will be the best work you've ever had. Carrie and I talk about this all the time because there's a disconnect sometimes in the way I love my work and the way she loves her work. And God has wired her to love and care for our family, and she does that with, uh, without fail, but we also are in a position where she needs to work. And so work has never been her passion. Work has been something she does because it helps provide for our family. I'm in the unique position that I get to do a job that that I love. And so our work experiences, our Monday mornings are always a little different, okay? But in heaven, you're going to work, but what you're going to do is you're going to work at something that completely satisfies your soul. I don't know what job you'll have. I know that we'll reign. I know that we'll rule. I don't know what job you'll have. I know what jobs you won't have, right? Um, I was a counselor for a lot of years before I was a pastor. I won't be a counselor. We won't need mental health counseling in heaven. Uh, Carrie's job is a social worker. That that's not going to be a, a heavenly job. Okay. I don't know. I kinda always really wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> don't laugh. I did. But in a fallen mind, there's only so much that my brain can, can process and understand and do. And so I have a feeling, if God lets me pick, that I might do some space exploration in heaven. Yes, be, we talked about it. We'll, we'll, we'll get to explore. We'll get to adventure. And so that's, I'm going for that. Carrie's always wanted to design homes. Maybe. And you're like, man, but how will you get to do that? You won't know any of that stuff when you get to heaven. No, I won't know any of that stuff when I get to heaven. I will have eternity to study it, you know. And so if I have to spend a lifetime, like my lifetime, learning about it, well, then I'll, guess what? I'll still have eternity after that to go ahead and put it into practice. I don't know what our roles will be, but here's something we need to know, and this is a myth that we've kind of bought into about heaven, is that you know everything you need to know now. Or when you get to heaven, you'll know everything that there is to know. And that's not true. Here's the deal. When you get to heaven, you're going to learn. When you get to heaven, you will have to learn new knowledge. You won't know everything that there is to know. You're going to spend eternity learning. First of all, I, I can tell you that because God is unknowable. God is infinite. Infinite means that there is no end. So if nothing else, you're going to spend eternity learning to know God better. Unimpeded relationship with God in heaven. And you are going to continue to learn and grow and to know him better. And there will be no end to that because he is infinite and we are finite. Which means we can't ever experience all of it. But there's more. Like I'm not going to get to heaven knowing everything that's ever happened. I'm not going to get to heaven knowing how Instagram works. I'm going to have to learn how Instagram works. Okay, I'm not going to get to heaven being able to hit a hole in one every time I go golfing. Yes, by the way, there will be golfing in heaven. Some of you have asked that question repeatedly in the boxes, will there be sports in heaven? Why would there not be sports in heaven? I mean, honestly, do you really, I mean, this is a a legit straight up question. Do you really believe that Sports and entertainment and excitement are a product of the fall. I mean, if, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, are you telling me that there would have never been a pickup basketball game? That kids wouldn't naturally have decided to play catch? Those things aren't a product of the fall. The thing is, well, we've just never experienced what they're supposed to be like. And some of you are right away, you're like, no, 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 no I'm too competitive right in heaven if i lose that's going to be bad i mean some of you are bad losers i mean let's be honest some of you are bad losers and you're like well in heaven if i lose then it's not going to go well listen that just that just tells me you don't understand redemption because the part of you that's competitive stays the part of you that's competitive to the point where you can't lose that's part of you marred by sin. The part of you that enjoys the exhilaration of playing the game, the part of you that enjoys the camaraderie that comes from playing the game, the part of you that just uh, just gushes over the fact that you get to do this for the next couple of hours, that's, that's gonna be exemplified. It's the way, see, we, we've got this idea about heaven is that oh, nothing good will be happening in heaven. You know what? And we think about sports. Not only, Okay, and because it, I'm not going to be the best at everything, I mean, when I get to heaven, it's not like we're all of equal skill, right? Like, people that are better than me at basketball are still going to be better than me at basketball. I'll be able to improve. I'll be able to develop skills. I'll be able to do things I couldn't do, and I'll be able to grow. But think about this. Like, David Robinson is a good Christian man. Who knows who David Robinson is? MVP, NBA MVP, um, all-star, I don't know how many years, center for the Spurs. Good, solid Christian man. David and I are going to play some basketball. He's going to be better than me. That's okay. How many of you love to run? You're going to go jogging with Eric Liddell. Remember Eric Liddell? Have you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? A guy with such passion and worship with the God, for the God of the universe who understood that God had hardwired him to run and that God had put that in his heart to run and that when he ran, he glorified the God of the universe and he ran so well he was in the Olympics and then he was supposed to run a race on Sunday and he refused. In the Olympics, he refused to run his race because it was on Sunday. It's okay, he won gold medals and other things on other days. You're going to go running with that dude. Heaven is going to be a far cry from what you've experienced. It's going to be great. And you're going to work, and you're going to play. And there are going to be joys and pleasures, just like the psalmist says. Forevermore. They'll never end. But you're going to work. Nobody will fall through the cracks, though. And here's the thing. I don't know what job you'll have. Perhaps you'll be able to ask God for the job you want. Okay? Um, Perhaps... You'll have the job that God gives you, but here's the thing that I know for sure, the great thing about heaven is that everything you desire is what God desires, and so you can't lose, because your heart's desire will be God's heart's desire, and those will always come together in heaven on the new earth, and that is the way that it will be. It'll just always be that way, okay? And so there's nothing for you to fear. So we are going to reign, we are going to work. uh, And if we reign and rule, then the natural question is, who do we reign and rule? And by the way, when I say that we're gonna reign and rule, some of you get really tense because you hate the government. And I'm not joking, I know, you hate government. You hate everything government. You don't trust anything government. And so automatically you think, well, no, government can't be in paradise. Government can't be in heaven because government is bad. No, and get this. Government is not a product of the fall. God governed the universe well before he had to cast Satan out of heaven. God made Adam and Eve to govern and rule the earth well before they ate the fruit. Government is not evil. Our government... Is broken and flawed. It's one of the reasons we have so much trouble with government is because none of it's what it's supposed to be. What it was always supposed to be was something called the theocracy, with God over everyone, everyone following God. Well, since the fall, that's been not possible. And what we know as government, a, a democratic government, it, at least appears to be the best alternative but it's flawed and we know it. And so we assume, oh, government, well, no, but there will be government. We know this. Okay. Uh, And we know, let's start with who will rule. First, we know we'll rule angels. First Corinthians six, two and three says this, don't you realize this is Paul talking and he says this in a matter of fact way, because you've got believers suing other believers. That's the context here is you had people in the church, like I would get really mad at, at, at Joe in the church, and so I would sue Joe, and Joe would countersue me, and we would go to this public courthouse where someone who is not a Christian would try to decide between the two of us who's right and who's wrong, and Paul says, don't you know that's stupid? Okay, don't you realize someday that we believers, we Christians will, will actually judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide these little disputes among yourselves? And then he says this. This is just a matter-of-fact statement he throws in there, but we have, to, we have to acknowledge it. Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So who will we rule? Who will we, how will we reign? What will that look like? I don't know, but I know that part of it is we will rule and reign and judge angels. I don't know what that means exactly, but I know it's part of God's program for eternity. And not only that, but we'll rule each other. This is uh, Jesus talking, and it's a parable, and he's talking in parable. This is what it will be like on the new earth. Okay, and he's talking about this parable of stewardship, what you do here on earth, mattering for next. And he says, The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done the king exclaimed, you are a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you, so you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. Jesus is giving this parable to talk about how we use the skills and the talents that he gives us on this earth in this lifetime to understand what our rewards in heaven will be like. And so what he says in this parable is, you know, you were faithful with the things I gave you here in this life, so guess what? I'm going to give you those things in the next. You'll be ruler over ten cities in the next, which means some of us will manage and govern cities. Companies. Will there be companies? Sure, there'll be companies. Why wouldn't there be companies? Are you telling me that in a world absent of the fall... In a world absent of the fall, that businesses wouldn't have come up, why wouldn't they? Isn't that natural? We'll govern angels, We'll judge angels, we'll rule angels, and, and we'll rule and govern over each other. Now some of you, that makes you angry. Because it confuses you. Because you're left thinking, well, wait a minute. If, it can't be heaven if there's going to be somebody over me. It can't be heaven if there's going to be somebody that's, that's higher up than me. Because what do we do now when somebody's higher up than us? What do we think? We think, well, how do I get there? How do I get promoted? How do I get elevated? How do I get as much as them? How do I get better than them? But that feeling Something left over from the fall. God will redeem that. God will change that feeling. See, one of the things that's happened in the world that we live in, well, we'll get there in a second, but let me just tell you this God has groomed us for leadership. That's what's happening in this world. See, this is this grand thing uh, that we keep talking about, and we keep talking about it in terms of rewards in heaven, and this is honestly, it's why this whole series started. Because we said something, uh, I, I think I stood up here during our I Am series last fall, and I made a statement that said, hey, in heaven, not everyone will have the same experience. It'll be great for everybody. It'll be perfect for everybody. It'll be infinite joy for everybody. But not everybody's experience is going to be the same, because there is something about rewards in heaven. And that floored people. And it floored people because they assumed if there's rewards in heaven, then that means there's a hierarchy in heaven. If there's a hierarchy in heaven, then it means we're going to have this relational tension. But the relational tension part is part of your brokenness. So understand that in this life, God is grooming you for leadership because you are going to lead on the new earth. And and he's not simply preparing that place for you. He's preparing us for that place. It's just something you have to understand. And and that's why we say that our deeds here matter. And this is the thing that wrecked it for us from the beginning. This is is what what threw us for a loop. So let's talk about 1 Corinthians. Here's what it says. Anyone who builds on that foundation, that foundation Paul's talking about here is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ as the foundation. It says, okay, so if Jesus is the foundation, so... For this conversation, he's saying we're all having the same understanding that we are all Christians. We have all submitted to and we are all following Jesus. So this is a conversation, a judgment that he's going to talk about that is for Christians. So nobody will come away from this judgment going to hell. Because this is a judgment that is for Christians specifically. If you are, I I, got to make sure we get this. If we're a part of this judgment, you are in heaven. So what's at stake here is not heaven and hell, but it's rewards in heaven or lack of rewards in heaven. Okay, And so here's what he says. Anyone who builds on that foundation, Jesus, may use a variety of materials. You can build with whatever you want. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. Okay, The idea there being that what you bring to the table is on you. You can build with whatever you want. What you bring to the table, what you bring to this judgment is on you. You build gold, silver, jewels, great. You build wood, or you bring wood, straw, and hay, hey, your prerogative. Okay? But on Judgment Day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, then that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved because this isn't about heaven and hell. The builder will be saved regardless, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And that's, that's one of the texts we need to understand. There, there's going to be rewards in heaven, so listen to what I'm telling you. Your deeds matter. What you do as a Christian matters. Listen, one of the problems that we have with this is we've come to believe a cultural lie. We are a culture that worships equality. But we make a grave mistake when we assume that equality means same. And, and you, can, you can point your finger at any number of places in our society that's done this. Where we've said that equality means that everything must be the same. That's not a true statement. God is the author of diversity. You and I are different, and that's part of God's design. If you look at it at a core level, men and women, men and women, we are different. We are uniquely designed. Men process, see, and understand things differently than women process, see, and understand things. God has made us different. Look at Adam and Eve in perfection in the garden. Adam is, is bigger and stronger than Eve. Are they equal? Yes. Are they the same? No, they're not. Eve has beauty and patience and skill and nurturing and love and that Adam can't possibly have? Are they equal? Yeah. Are they the same? Not even close. God's design is for diversity. And so what happens, though, in this world is we look at diversity as a bad thing or uh, we look at difference as a bad thing. And what we say is that equal and same must be together or something is broken and wrong. But it's illogical to assume that everyone in heaven will be equal in ability and passion or reward. What you do here matters. I need you to grasp that. Because some of us assume, and and I've actually had people say this to me. People, you know, they'll sit in my office, they'll send me emails, they'll want to know, okay, so I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, why do I have to do anything else? Why should anything else matter? Well, my argument is twofold. First of all, if you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, you should desire to do more, right? Because if your heart really is changed, if your heart really has been transformed by the God of the universe, if the Holy Spirit of God is living in you, it should compel you to do more. So if you're saying to me, I'm a Christian, I don't think I should have to do more, I'm gonna say to you, be careful. Okay, be careful about that. Two, I'm gonna say this that it matters in eternity. It absolutely matters for eternity. Your deeds here matter. Not in some karma kind of way. I don't want you to be confused by that. I'm not talking about this mystical idea of karma. Like, okay, well, you do something good, and then something good will come back around to you. That might happen because God is a good God. But I'm talking about in an eternal sense. Think about it like a bank account. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this, that's why I'm suffering here in prison. Paul's talking, uh, he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he says, this is why I'm suffering in prison, and and why he's suffering in prison is because of the gospel. And he says, that's why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it. And then this is the thing, this is the part that you have to, this is actually a hymn that some of you may know um, here, but this is the part that we really dig in on here. It says, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. This is Paul saying, I'm in prison and it's okay because it counts for me. Not just it counts for me in this broad evangelical sense, which it does, but no, 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 it counts for me in a personal, real way. And I'm okay that I'm in prison because I know the one that I've entrusted to handle my account until I get there. That I've put all of my investments in with God until I get there. And I'm sure that he's able to guard it and keep it until the day of his return when it will be credited to my account. That's why Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourself here. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven where thieves don't break in, where moths don't eat away, where rust doesn't eat away, but where it endures. Store up for yourself treasures here. Paul says, I am doing that. I know in the one that I've believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep everything that I give him credited to me for that day. And so what you have to understand is that it all counts for you. Every single little bit of it counts for you. Every motion of worship counts for you in a way that you're not understanding yet. Every time you hit your knees and you go to the Lord in prayer, it counts for you. Every external leading, every internal private movement, every time you wrestle with obedience. Listen, every time, every time. You're about to log on to something you know you shouldn't be logging on to. And you refuse and you put it aside because of your faithfulness to the God of the universe. That's credited to you. Every time you give generously when you don't feel like it, but you do it not out of compulsion, but because of your faithfulness to God. It's Credited to you. Every time you reach down in brotherly or sisterly compassion to help what Jesus would refer to as the least of these, and you do it out of a faithfulness for God, that's credited to your account. Every time you suck it up and you go down to the nursery and play with toddlers in the toddler room, you're like, man, this is a small room, and those kids are snotty, and it's hot. And and two-and-a-half-year-olds don't follow directions very well. And you do it not out of compulsion, not because it has to be my turn, but you do it out of faithfulness to God. That counts for you. Every time you share the gospel with somebody that is headed for hell, that's counted for you. When it's done, out of faithfulness to God. I, I think you're, hopefully you're getting the idea that whatever you do, if you're doing it because you have to and you're checking it off a list, then it counts for nothing except maybe the accolades you get for doing it now. I stand up here and preach, but my heart is not with it, and I'm only doing it so that I'll get a paycheck and so that maybe you'll shake my hand and say, good job today, Pastor. Okay, then that's what I get. I get a paycheck and I get a handshake and that's what I get. But when I stand up here and I pour myself out because I'm worshiping the God of the universe and it's in faith to the God of the universe that this is what I want to do and this is, then that counts for me. When you force yourself to get up and come here and listen to that guy who's not going to stop Not because it'll look good to my parents and not because I can check it off my list and not because that's what I've always done, but because I have faithfulness to the God of the universe. It counts for you. I can't push this enough. What you do here matters for eternity. I don't know what the scale is. I don't know how it works. I don't know what weighs and what burns away. and what's, I, I don't know any of that, but here's what I know. I know that rewards are real in heaven. I know that what you do here matters. And I know that the experience that we have in heaven, our day-to-day experience, the work that we do, how we manage, how we lead, what we're a part of, I know that it has to do with what we do here in this training program that God has us a part of. Talking to Jim Mayhew about his job at ClickStop way back when, and he uses a term that I I just love. It's, It's onboarding. Right, You hire somebody and they have to go through onboarding uh, to get caught up to speed as much as possible so that then they can be a part of, of what's going on. And, and this, for us right here, this is onboarding. As Christians, that's what this is. And if we get that, you can live a little bit differently, I would hope. Paul says, I know whom I've trusted. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep everything that I've committed credited to me on that day. All right, a couple other things that I want to do here just briefly. Um, a couple of questions people have thrown in the box. How do I know there will be culture in heaven? I keep, people keep asking that question like, almost like they're incredulous when I say, well, yes, there's going to be jobs, and yes, there's going to be sports, and yes, there's going to be artwork, and yes, there's going to be... Um, Uh, technology and space travel and cars and this and that. You're like, yeah, why? Why would any of that be the case? Listen to me. Culture is not sinful. In fact, what God does with Adam and Eve in Genesis 128 is God gives Adam and Eve a cultural mandate. This is before sin has entered the world. He says, "Okay, man and the woman, they're together. It's very good. Go conquer the earth. Put the earth under submission, and create a God-glorifying culture, if you will, here on the earth. Culture is not wrong. And then we get to Genesis 4, just three short chapters later, and and we read this, just this matter-of-fact statement that God throws in there. Uh, Jabal, who was the first of those who raised livestock and live in tents. His brother's name was Jubal, those are different, uh, the first of all who played the harp and flute. And Zilla gave birth to a son named Tubal-Cain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. And so here we are, just three short chapters after this cultural God-given mandate. And what do we learn? We learn that already we've got innovations in farming, metallurgy, tools, We've got people creating musical instruments, which means we're creating music. These are things that God specifically takes a second here in Genesis 4 to point out to us. Culture isn't wrong. God isn't going to step in at the end of all things and erase culture. You know what God's going to do? God's going to step in, and he's going to redeem it. He's going to make it right. And so we start thinking about this, and that means in in heaven we're going to create new music, maybe new musical instruments, new art, new drama. Some of you are like, well, you can't have movies and TV in heaven, there can't be TV in heaven. It's the old Baptist in me coming out. Like, we all know that movies and TV are bad. Can't have TV and, oh, man, think of the stuff we're going to see on TV in heaven. (laughs) And think of the picture. (laughs) Can you imagine that picture quality in heaven? Whatever. Um, uh, We're stuck, right? Because right now, all of our great dramas, all of our great movies, what's the, what's the main theme? <clears throat> Sin, murder, violence, sex. And so, you know, the things that we enjoy going to the movie to watch now, we're like, well, that can't possibly be in heaven. And so therefore, there won't be any good drama or art or music in heaven. Are you kidding me? Redemption is a story, and we'll be telling it in new and creative ways that don't glorify sin for all of eternity, and we'll enjoy it. Creativity in heaven will just continue, and it'll grow. And I think we'll be surprised, and I think I've said this before, but we will look back at one point in time, and we will, we will be um, thrilled about where we are, and what's happened, and what we accomplish, And at some point in time, I think we're going to understand, not just from a, a, a personal sin struggle way, but I think we're going to look back and we're going to understand what sin has cost us as a people, as a culture, not just in the evil that happens, but in the good that we can't do, in the amazing things that we can't accomplish. I think we're going to look back and, and, and we're going to see that. Okay? So, so here's the deal. I just want to make sure you have the right perspective. That's the one. I want to make sure that you keep the eternal perspective. And and here's why, and we're going to talk a lot more about this next week as we wrap up this series. But here's why I need you to keep the eternal perspective. Because I don't want you to settle for a counterfeit because you think this is all there is. I know too many people who think, well, I only have one chance for a great romance. I better get it now. Or I I only have one chance to have that experience, so I better sell myself into debt so I can have it now. I only have one chance to live in in this nice place and and only one chance uh, to pursue my dream, so I better leave my family and go do it now. And I only have one chance to do No, 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 listen. I need you to keep an eternal perspective because when you have an eternal perspective, you have an eternity to pursue and experience and love an adventure. When you have an eternal perspective, it helps us understand these things better. This, this helps me when I, when I say to my kids, yeah, we're not going to go to Disneyland this year. And they're like, why not? Everybody else, my kids don't really care about that. At least they don't tell me, but why can't we go to Disneyland? Everybody else is going to Disneyland. I'm like, look, man, we'll go to Disneyland in heaven. Like, that'll be cool. <laughs> Think how much better the teacup ride will be. And I don't know if you have to wait in lines first base Mountain. In heaven. Maybe I'll have Space Mountain in my backyard. In heaven. I don't know. But you'll have an eternity for the experience. Here's what we're going to do I'm going to pray. Uh, and then Vince is actually going to come up. And Vince is going to lead us in, in a time of offering. And he's going to lead us in, in, a, in a time of communion. Um, and uh, so uh, we'll be here for that. I'm actually going to sneak out. I'm heading over to Revolution to preach for them this morning. Um, so I'm not just running away, but, but there's a reason for it. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you that you are a God that loves and cares for us. We thank you that we have something so grand to look forward to in eternity. We thank you that you are a God that never fails, that your love never fails, that you stay the same through the ages, and and that, that you are changing us from the inside out as we grow to understand things eternally, and so we can pour ourselves out for you for the sake of the gospel. Because you're worth it, because it counts for us, and because we want to see lives changed. God, we love you and praise you. Amen.